I don't believe it's the pastor's job to notice and point out the unhealthiness in the church that he's serving. Mm. Just lift up Christ. Mm. I mean, how, how do you prioritize? Okay, which, which aspect of dysfunction am I going to prioritize as first and which as second? I mean, that is not the ministry that God himself called us into. Go tell everybody how wrong they are. No, go tell everybody how right Christ is, how glorious he is. That's our ministry. Welcome to You're Not Crazy, Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors. Ray, this is episode 10 of season two. Um, welcome to you, Ray, by the way. Um, we had promised um, people that we would we would take some questions and work through them with people. So I've got a list of questions that people have emailed us or mentioned on Twitter or questions I've actually had people ask me in, in the flesh. So we'll, we'll get to those in a moment. Um so my icebreaker question is, what is your favorite icebreaker question? <laughs> my favorite icebreaker question actually is, what is your favorite place, your favorite spot on the entire face of the earth? Where do you most love to be? Which I think we've talked about before. But we have. Since but it's the my last, favorite. It is. And since the last season, I've, I've been back to the Scottish Highlands briefly. Our mutual friend Hunter came over for a... Um, to visit for a, a, a week or so, and uh, I was determined to drive him up to to Scotland. So I got to see Glencoe. Mm, I got yeah. to see um, just off Glencoe. If you take a left as you're approaching Glencoe, there's a, a little lane that goes down to a place called Glenative, which may be the most beautiful spot in the Highlands. Every time I go down there, I feel as though I could have a house here and I'd be very, very happy. You you could all come and visit, mm. but it's just beautiful. You've got this beautiful glen, the the mountains rising up either side you've got this lock down at the end of it and i've never been so seized with a desire to jump into some into some cold scottish water and just swim because this lock feels like eden is at the other side of it you just mm. want to go in and explore and see what what's on the other end mm. a foretaste of the new earth oh yes yes it will look a lot like scotland i'm fairly sure well, Janie and I love Tennessee. We love California and the beaches and so forth. But it's interesting you would mention Scotland because the most magical moment on the planet I've ever had was in Scotland on the island of Mull mm. off the West Coast. And I went to, uh, with a friend from our little village on the East Coast of Scotland across the country to visit his mother because she had been recently widowed. So we arrived and their their dog needed to be walked because his his master, the dog's master had died. So mm. we took the, the doggie on a, a walk up into the hills above Tubermory there. And the only sounds I could hear, I'd never experienced stillness and calm at this level. I mean, I'm from Los Angeles. <laughs> Here we are in the in this hill overlooking this little uh, village, and all I can hear I can hear the wind through the grass. I can hear the occasional bleating of a sheep, in this absolutely picturesque location, and my friend giving his dog commands in Gaelic. 
Oh. Because the dog didn't understand English. <laughs> dog only spoke Gaelic. So I said to myself, memorize this moment. You will never see this again. But maybe I will, Sam, in the new earth. Maybe you will. Yeah. And Ray, I've got my phone up here because there's some questions I people have asked through Twitter. But the background to my Twitter is a beach called Kamazdarek Beach. It's on the way to Maleg from Fort William. And as you look at this beach, it's beautiful, pristine sand. You look out and you can see the Isle of Egg and the Isle of Rum. Just have a look at that. Oh, my good. Oh, my goodness. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see you guys <laughs> uh well ray let's let's take some questions i've got i've got one f for me um when the the podcast episodes came out um i did listen to them i don't wouldn't normally listen to something i've been speaking on but because there'd been a gap between us recording them and then being released I, I thought i ought to because people would ask me about things that we talked about but as i listened you made a comment early on in season one that and it was a sidebar that you 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 had a biblical justification for why small talk matters. Mm. And at the time, I remember that episode thinking, oh, I must ask him what that is. And I never got around to it, so I'm asking you now. Mm. Okay, sure. It's in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter and Cornelius together. Here's Peter, this formidable Christian leader. He's uh, one of the original disciples. He's a, a Jewish blue blood. And of course... Uh, the gospel began as a renewal movement within Judaism. And yeah. Cornelius is the first major Gentile convert. And so Cornelius is uncomfortable in meeting this mm. amazing spiritual leader. And Cornelius bows down before Peter as Peter comes to his home. Hmm. And Peter rightly is horrified. And he says, oh, please stand up. You know, I too am a man, he says. And then in Acts chapter 10, verse 27, there they are in the front yard of Cornelius' home. And the Bible says, And as Peter talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So there they are on the front sidewalk. Peter has lifted Cornelius up from this prostrate position, which was absurd. And they turn to walk into the house and as they walk in, the Bible says, Peter was talking with him. Ernest Henkin, in his amazing commentary in the book of Acts, argues that that's purposeful, that Peter was identifying with Cornelius, setting him at ease through casual conversation. He was showing his affability, his, his good-natured friendship new friendship with Cornelius. So I can see Peter turning to Cornelius and saying, well, this is a lovely home. Did, did you buy this new or did you, uh, was this here already? How long have you lived here? And, oh, this is Mrs. Cornelius. Well, it's how nice <laughs> to meet you. What a lovely garden you have here. And this is Cornelius Jr. Hey, who's your favorite NFL team? You know, and, and suddenly everybody relaxes. Yeah. And we're all on the same level. Small talk is a big deal. It's not all we do together. Hmm. But small talk has the wisdom to sort of set human beings at ease hmm. and to let them know, you belong here. We're all on the same level. It's right there in Acts chapter 10. Right, that's amazing. I was not expecting that. But you're right, it, it's, a, it's a, an expression of solidarity, isn't it? Yes. Um, wow, I will think differently about small talk. 
here's here's a, a couple that have come through on Twitter. We've got some that people have emailed to us as well. Um, how do you encourage a culture of grace among team leaders across the church? Is it primarily primarily caught or taught? And are there specific habits, patterns that can be built into church life to help with this? This is among uh, the leadership team of a church. Yeah, might be the lay leaders, the small group leaders. Yeah. How would you answer the question? I, th- I think it's both caught and taught. I think you need to see it and taste something of it. Um, and then you will want to be taught in it. Um, that would be my instinct is to to start with... It, you're not going to get an entire church understanding and, and embracing gospel culture in one step, but perhaps you might start with the, your eldership team or your staff team. Start with the circle, the smallest circle in which you have the most influence, and then and then work outwards from that. Because if the staff team catch the vision for it, if the if the elders catch the vision for it, you then have multiple ambassadors for it. Yes. And you can begin to, to work on the small group leaders. And if they catch it, their groups may catch it. Yes. So I think it it's not merely something that you just teach in an abstract way. Um, it really helps to be tasting something of it. Um, I've noticed at the, the elders' meetings uh, we have at Emmanuel, one of the items on the agenda every pretty much every time is sorrows and joys we'll we'll open the scripture we'll pray and then the first item is almost always how's everyone doing yes what are the what are the sorrows and joys at the moment that we can help one another with and, and pray about and just that sort of opportunity to to be real to be safe to be honest um someone tasting that for the first time that will make them want to grow in it to understand it more and to to replicate it. There's a reason for that pattern. At Emmanuel, our three priorities are in this order, Jesus, community, mission. It's not Jesus, mission, community. Hmm. But we put Jesus first, like in a staff meeting. First thing we do, share versus scripture and pray. Then the next thing we do is not do the business of the staff and how are we going to organize the ministry, the next big push and so forth. The next item is, how are you? Yeah. Jesus community. And then we get down to business and and how we plan and strategize and pray and push forward. Yeah. So, um, people find that surprising. Uh, but in this world, it's surprising when people are treated as if they matter. Yeah. Yeah. We're so used to being, Treated as a, a sort of matter of utility, aren't we? Yeah. So let's surprise people with how much they matter, including uh, environments where it's a matter of employment. Yeah. That belongs there too. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, we've had a few people ask a variation of, of this kind of question. Um, how do you deal with with people? In the, I was spending actually some time over the summer with a, with a pastor friend who's really on board with the gospel culture he's sensing it's going to be a battle with his church. Hmm. So how do you deal with people in the church who are opposed to gospel culture without then turning them into enemies? Um, How can you have gospel culture towards those who might even resist gospel culture? Hmm. Well, I'm grateful for the question because so many pastors could answer 
uh, pardon me, ask that question and also answer it. But the way the question has come to us, how do you deal with people? Um, I, I personally find that articulation of the question a bit regrettable. Um, John 13 does not say, deal with one another as I have dealt with you. <laughs> so when uh, the, the, the language deal with uh, troubles me, what if people who don't just grasp the opportunity that gospel culture represents, the glory and beauty it represents, what if we just love them? Mm. Now, it might be that we need to be careful they don't actually become too uh, influential in the structures and in the polity and formal leadership of the church. The elders and staff are, are, are all tone setters. It's yeah. perhaps the most important thing a leader does, set the tone. So you might want to be careful about that uh, and get the people in the tone-setting roles who really understand the authority in scripture, the authority and beauty of gospel culture. But the people who don't understand it, don't respect it, don't appreciate it, if we're serious about gospel culture, we're going to love those people. Yeah. And we're going to enjoy them and respect them and include them to the to the maximum degree yeah. that we're capable of. Yeah, I keep coming back to our, our sort of one of our key verses in Romans 15, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Jesus welcomed us when we weren't interested in him, uh, when we weren't, we didn't have regard for him yet. Um, we weren't seeking him out. We weren't loving him, but he welcomed us even when we were opposed to him. So we we must welcome one another, even when the one another we're welcoming is not on board yet, not on the same page. There's There's still a way actually of conveying gospel culture in the very... That's place right. of opposition to it. That, and we had better be committed to that as pastors. Yeah. And if the tone setters, the actual formally established tone setters in the church, um, are not with you in your pastoral ministry in this way, deeply accept that and realize this is going to be a 20-year project. Hmm. Accept it. Be patient Know that God's hand is on you. He will be with you. And just start investing in the rising generation of leaders. Mm. Play the long game. Begin to gather men in their 20s and 30s. Care for them. Introduce them to the gospel at a deeper level. Level. Think through theological issues. Translate it into gospel culture. Mm. Lead them into honesty. Lead them into gospel plus safety plus time. Yeah. And so forth. All these wonderful experiences of the difference that Jesus makes. And just trust God that in 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, that ship is going to turn. And you had the privilege of investing in that church way ahead of the great fruitfulness and the great harvest that eventually would come. Wow. Wow. Um, another question. I think these, these next two questions were from the same person. When there is so much unhealthiness in the church, how do you decide? which is used to prioritize? And then how do you point out unhealthiness while also celebrating Christ at work in the church? Ray, something that used to be on the weekly staff agenda at Emmanuel was, I think I've remembered this right, celebrate the win. Mm -hmm. Tell us what that was, how that came to be and 
what it looked like. Right. In, in our ministry there, we always celebrated wins. Every evidence of grace that we saw, we wanted to notice that, talk about that, rejoice over that, high-five each other, thank the Lord, mm. um, whatever it might be. Uh, and uh, so celebrating wins, who wouldn't love to be part of a church that is celebrating wins rather than frustrated by foot draggers? Um, plus, Sam, I don't know what you think, but I'll, let me just throw this out here. I don't believe it's the pastor's job to notice and point out the unhealthiness in the church that he's serving. Mm. Just lift up Christ. Mm. I mean, how, how do you prioritize? Okay, which, which aspect of dysfunction am I going to prioritize as first and which as second? I mean, that is not the ministry that God himself called us into. Mm. Go tell everybody how wrong they are. No, go tell everybody how right Christ is, yeah. how glorious he is. That's our ministry. And we ourselves, we're so incomplete and so flawed and flaky in some ways. Pastors who point the finger at their church, and say, I love you, but you need to know how wrong you are in this respect. Excuse me if I get up and walk out. I don't know where that man got his ministry. I don't think he got it from the Lord. Mm. But what if we all together, in all our need, go before the feet of Christ and see what he'll do for people like us? Okay, I want to stay in that church. Mm. Great things are going to happen. Yeah. So if, if a pastor is in a church and there is, you know, all kinds of mess and problems and, and all the rest of it, it's, I mean, he's right to lament those things and to, to grieve those things. But the encouragement would be, and some of those things he may need to talk about with one or two others as they mm -hmm. pray for the church sure. and, and try and figure out a way forwards. But Christ is is what will always help the root of every problem, isn't isn't he? I mean whatever the dysfunction may be, if I address that, I'm dealing with symptoms. Whereas if we if we bring Christ to people, we're dealing with the root of all the things that are dysfunctional. I just don't believe that the Lord called me to go correct everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody. Maybe some of us. No. <laughs> um, here's another question. Um, is it ever the right time to encourage someone to move on to another church? Mm, fascinating. What would you say about that, Sam? I well, in one sense, yes. Um, in that part of the rationale for the <clears throat> the sort of the membership course we have at Emmanuel, the Next Steps course, we have a four week program for people who, to become members. Part of the function of that, I think, is to show people, hey, this is who we are as a church. This is what we're about. This is what we celebrate. This is what we care about. And if that's not where you're at as a Christian and you want to bang some other drum in church every week, we may not be the right place for you, but there may be a church that bangs that drum and that's their big deal down the road that you can go to. Mm -hmm. So from that point of view, it could be right to say that to someone. Um, that the, the, the membership course I took when I came to Emmanuel, one of the other people on it had a particular issue about something uh, we were saying as a church and, 
they, they didn't stay and that's probably right because they would have just stayed and been annoyed the whole time. Mm. Uh, they had a particular theological emphasis that we didn't share and Nashville being Nashville, there's there's a church for every theological emphasis and they would have been much happier at that other church. Mm. The point is for everyone to find a place yeah. where they they truly belong and can serve the Lord and bear fruit. And sometimes that will mean we help them find that place, but yeah. we will always speak well of every other gospel preaching, Jesus loving church. Yeah. We'll be their head cheerleader. They're not the competition. Um, plus I, I, a friend of mine, pastor friend said that in the first few months at his uh, new ministry, he, his words, ran off a whole group of people. Mm. Uh, I believe that's wrong. Yeah. That's a, they called him to be their pastor. Yeah. There's no right to run them off then. That's, that's a betrayal of the trust that yeah. was shown in him. So we never want to do that. But we might humbly and, and cheerfully and um, respectfully help someone find another church where we know they would just have a great experience. Yeah. And grow in Christ. And, and sometimes, you know, we sometimes talk about this as if there's a problem person and we need to move them on to somewhere else. Sometimes it might be that actually there's a there's a precious Christian and we're just not going to be the best place for them. There yeah. may be a problem with us. Mm -hmm. um, I can think of someone I, I, I knew at a previous church who had particular forms of social anxiety, uh, particular vulnerabilities, and it made sense for them to be in a much smaller church that oh, was more close-knit less intimidating um so we encouraged them to to join that church and it wasn't because they were a problem it was actually because it was a weakness of our of our church the size and and other things to do with our church that we weren't going to be the best place for them you know my i remember my dad saying once that he thought it was probably inevitable that the lord would send someone or perhaps several people to a church that were hard to love, people that were hard to love, and to test the sincerity of that church. Wow. This, this, you talk about love. Do you mean it? Now, I'm going to send you some unusual people, <laughs> and they are from me. And I want to see you love them sincerely. So let's not be shocked if we find odd, problematic people sent to us by the Lord uh, so that we can make a statement to him that we really do love him and we love them for his sake. Yeah. We mean it. Maybe that's how I ended up at Emmanuel. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we all ended up. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. A bunch of, uh, yeah, beloved misfits. Yeah. Um, and and by the way, that you you then begin to realise those misfits and oddballs are part of the glory of the church. That's right. I used to be embarrassed about the the sort of difficult people at church. If I had a friend coming, I was like, I they don't sit next to to that person. But then I something flipped in me, and I suddenly thought, no, that person is is actually showing we're for everyone. Isn't that great? Yeah, I became proud of them. Absolutely. Uh, Ray, time is running out, but a quick last question. How can a church look after its pastor? Oh, wow. What, a what was the verse? You, when Barnabas was ordained earlier this year, you brought a verse to the, the congregation. But the verse that does come to my mind 
um, is what our Lord said to Peter, strengthen your brothers. And that, that charge is given to every elder team. Strengthen the, your brothers on the pastoral staff. Mm. Look out for them. Um, I think it's important for lay elders are one of the glories of the Protestant Reformation. Mm. And we have so much, we revere men who voluntarily give themselves and sacrifice to serve as elders in a church. It's also true, if they haven't been a pastor, some things they cannot understand, yeah. some burdens. And so they have to take special care to uh, look out for and protect the spirit of the pastor. The most important thing about their pastor they want to nurture and attend to is his spirit, mm. his morale, his heart, and how he feels about the ministry. Mm. So if, because this is not like corporate America, where you're just paid and expected to show up and be at your best. This is, I'm not disparaging corporate America. It's, it's a wonderful reality in many ways, but it, we're just doing something different in our Christian churches. Yeah. There's a beauty here and a glory here that is legitimately expected because the glory of Christ is coming down. And that translates into many things, including lay elders aware of, sensitive to, and, and, and attentive to the heart and the spirit of their pastors. Mm. to keep those guys encouraged. That's wonderful. Thank you. Well, we'll call that a day there, Ray. Um, we'll maybe do this again if some more questions come in um, over the coming weeks and months. Yeah. Sam, thank you for the privilege of doing this with you. Thank you for the wisdom you've brought, the scriptural insight, and the, the sincerity of your heart, the background of your experience your honesty and vulnerability. Um, uh, you are a treasure. And we are so privileged and fortunate to have you in our midst. And if I could speak for all the listeners, if you're not crazy, they would say, we love you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ray. It's a joy to, to do this with you. Okay, so throughout this season of uh, You're Not Crazy, we're so thankful to Crossway Books for sponsoring this and covering the costs, we really respect Crossway. Sam, you have, one of the books you have with Crossway is What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And that is such a striking title. Are you saying that God actually cares about our bodies of all things? Uh, yes, is the short answer to that. Um, <laughs> and I mean, he, made, he apparently God likes making human bodies because he's made several billion of them by this point, and each of them we're told fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, so however we feel about our bodies, they're not an embarrassment to God. And one of the, the things I learned the most writing the book was if if our bodies now, is, if we're Christians, our bodies now belong to Jesus, the only person who needs to be pleased with our bodies is Jesus. And the the body that is pleasing to Jesus is the body that is consecrated to him. So your body, whoever's listening to this, whatever you look like now and however you feel about however you look right now, your body right now, this very moment, can be pleasing to the Lord by being given over to him. It doesn't have to be the kind of body that is going to be on the front cover of a fitness magazine. 
or is going to turn heads at a beach or is going to be on an advertising billboard, but a body sincerely given over to the service of Christ is pleasing to him. Mm. I think we all need to hear that. We do. In our body-obsessed, body-idolizing world. Wow, that's really striking, Sam. So every single one of us listening to this is uncomfortable in our skin. Yeah. Every single one of us looks at ourselves in the mirror and think we think, really? So what you've written then is the gospel for our bodies. It is. It's, this is how Jesus is good news for our bodies. Oh, wow. that's amazing. Sam, thank you for writing that book. It's yeah. urgently needed. It's What's the title again? What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. Published by Crossway. Fantastic. Thank you. You're Not Crazy is a podcast from the Gospel Coalition, hosted by Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry, produced and edited by Andrew Lapara. Check out more podcast shows from TGC at tgc.org forward slash podcasts. This is our 10th and final episode in, in season two of You're Not Crazy. Yeah. And we're, Sam and I want to say, we're not the only guys in the room making this happen. We want you to uh, to meet, and uh, we want to thank yeah. uh, the two men who are the geniuses behind the scenes actually uh, making it work. And uh, uh, Jose Figueroa is is one of the two men, and Andrew Lapara, but I can't say your name properly. Jose, how do you say Lapara properly? Lapara. Yeah, mm. okay. Lapara, Lapara. And um, Andrew, where do you live? Uh, I live here now. And Jose, where do you live? In Guatemala. Guatemala. And these two guys have worked really hard to uh, build out all this equipment in my study. And uh, yeah, we're grateful. We are so grateful. They they know what, we don't know what we're doing, but they know what they're doing. <laughs> so any impression anyone has from this podcast that we know what we're doing is because of their work. Yeah. Um, no, thank you for for making this a, an absolute joy. Yeah. Yeah, let's all be grateful to these two guys who've really worked hard to serve all of us. So thanks, guys.